0: excited to reveal the first episode of the Excellence in Leadership series on the Gary Bisbee Show presented by City. These conversations will explore groundbreaking leaders who are envisioning tomorrow's health care. To launch the series, we interviewed Joe Muscola, the Executive Vice President of Enterprise Services for Northwell Health. Joe also served as Northwell Health's Chief People Officer. He shares the top issues related to staffing and transparency and how Northwell Health addressed physician burnout during the pandemic. Joe describes the innovative ways that human resources can not only mitigate costs through better recruiting, but also be revenue positive. The conversation also explores Joe's leadership journey. He began his career as a physician's assistant. Let's start there.
1: Good afternoon, Joe, and welcome. Thanks so much, Gary, appreciate the invitation. We're pleased to have you at this microphone. Joe, when did you start thinking about pursuing a clinical degree when you got your physician's assistant degree? The
2: idea of healthcare came up from two teachers, Mr. Squadrito and Mrs. Carcaterra. Remember the day like it was yesterday. I was, in, was supposed to be at lacrosse Practice was canceled because it was raining. And they we were talking about biology and science. And they said, hey, you should check out this occupation called physician assistant. And I said, I have no idea what that is. Looked it up and the rest is history.
1: Yeah, very cool. So did you like it right away as soon as you began to study?
2: I did. I just fell in love. I fell in love with the patients, fell in love with the other healthcare workers, and I knew that's where I was meant to be.
1: When did you start thinking about the MBA and pursuing more of an administrative leadership track?
2: So I came out, practiced as a physician assistant for just about six years and i was working in cardiac surgery and my career mentor a gentleman by the name of alan hartman who is our chair of cardiothoracic surgery he and i were in the operating room one day and uh, again another day that i remember very vividly we're doing a bental replacement and that's the replacement of the aorta And uh, it was a very long case, but we got into many different topics of discussion. And and this particular day, believe it or not, over a 12 hour case was uh, the utopia of healthcare delivery. And we started talking about what the problems with healthcare is, how do we make an impact in people's lives? So he challenged me to go back to school and do something about
1: it. But then to Northwell became the chief of staff to Michael Dowling, the CEO, Mark Salazzo, the chief operating officer, that must have been a, just a fabulous experience, but what were your takeaways from that? These chief of staff
2: roles you just learned so much in such a consolidated period of time. I often will say I learned more in two years than I did in the 10 years prior to that. In many ways, you see how long it takes for a strategy to mature. You see how eloquent it is in terms of the artfulness, the data that it requires. And then look, at other times you see how crude, if you will, it could be, and really how the role of your gut plays into some of those decision making. From Mark, I absolutely learned the criticality of patience and timing. Sometimes you just got to wait for that window of opportunity to open up. And so now today in my style, the way that sort of translates is I always have things that I'm working on the back burner that I Maybe a little bit, the organization may not be ready for, it. I'm not ready for, it. maybe my peers and colleagues aren't ready for it yet. But when I see that opportunity through patience, I'll push it through the window. With Michael, it was very much certainly Peter Drucker's teaching that a culture eats strategy for breakfast. Michael Dowling, our CEO, is a cult of personality in a great way. You are drawn to him. He can translate to the highest levels of the organization at the board level to then all of our front lines.
1: You weren't a specialist in HR by any stretch, but what led to that appointment as Chief People Officer, Joe?
2: This is 2014, and Michael Dowling invites me to breakfast. So we're having breakfast, good casual conversation. Michael says to me, Joe, what are you struggling with? And I said, Michael, I just can't seem to get human resources to think differently. And he starts to laugh to the point where I feel a little uncomfortable. And he goes, well, let me tell you why we're at breakfast. I'm thinking about you to take over human resources.
0: And then I realized
2: the joke was on me. It it was one of those things, when i can transition my career it was always about making a bigger impact a positive impact in a broader as broad a way as possible and the more i thought about the chief people officer role the more i felt that it really continued to lead me down that road because, as I often would say to our team members in HR, we are never more than an arm's length from the patient. And don't allow yourself to believe that you are more than that, because the work that we do has such a criticality and impact to the health, that, to the health providers and those who are on the sort of proverbial front line.
1: Joe, how many people were employed by Northwell when you took over as a CPO versus now?
2: Yeah, so that's 2014. So we were about 50,000 team members. We were about eight and a half billion. Today we're 81,000 team members, and uh, next year's budget will be about 16 and a half billion. So we basically, at least from a revenue vantage point, doubled in size. It it really was one of those opportunities, especially when I think back. 2015, I believe it was the April edition of the Harvard Business Review, the cover article on Harvard Business Review was HR should be blown up. And so the notion was that I think many organizations were looking for something very different from the function and in actuality, I think that's that's what, what, what Michael was looking for too. He wanted a more operationally, strategically integrated function in the organization.
1: Has your clinical degree been particularly useful as Chief People Officer, Joe?
2: Oh, yeah. Unequivocally. So as a physician assistant, we're, we're there to serve. Sometimes we're serving the, our team members who are the nurses and the social workers, etc. dietary, registered dietitian, excuse me. And at times we're serving the physicians and this gives the credibility to get inside the door. What you do once you're inside, it's completely up to you. But I feel like Even when I think back to certain union negotiations I've been a part of, when I think back to strategy development, I had a certain credibility having been there on the front lines, working the 24-hour shifts back when we allowed people to do that, working in the operating rooms and really understanding what that care delivery team needs to look like.
1: Mm -hmm. In your years before COVID as CPO, what would you say were the top one or two challenges, Joe?
2: Yeah, prior to COVID, I had the privilege of being the chief HR officer during some Uh, times where many would be right to say, where was HR? Where was the function? And uh, you think back to whether that was uh, the Me Too movement, pay equity. These are things that I'm proud to say that we were working on in advance of these otherwise watershed moments across industry, that we still had not gotten this notion of fairness and equity and inclusion. That said, it was a good, an additional wake-up call for us that we needed to do more. And really uh, allowing other in, and then being transparent with our data. And again, another one of the things I think I was very thankful for was really developing a robust reliance and data strategy, workforce intelligence strategy as day one opportunity. And it wound up paying off as the years progressed. And even if you look up through till COVID and Black Lives Matter, et cetera, I think, you know, being able to be transparent, acknowledging the problem that you do or don't have and where you're looking to continue to push forward. Those are the kinds of things that I think that the, the sort of, and how we work together as a team within the function and outside of the function. I think it gave us credibility when those tough topics came in.
1: What stresses did COVID put on the organization?
2: I think from my vantage point, we can create as many beds as you like, but a bed without the appropriate staff is just that, it's just a bed. And we were fortunate in two things. One, prior to COVID, years prior, we had created our own staffing agency in an effort to reduce the cost of traveler agent and temp workforce, contingent workforce. And so that became a vehicle for us to be able to recruit individuals in at a lower price point. And we all know that we saw some pretty interesting things over the course of COVID in terms of the price that organizations had to pay for contingent workforce and staff. And so we we were fortunate enough to be out there in front. So that was part one, this company that we had built. The second, you go to these conferences and you create these relationships, and if some of them are such meaningful close relationships and i think we saw it pay off through covid
1: so the physician burnout problem was a problem well before covid but was accelerated by covid i'm sure what do you see going forward how are you addressing this issue of physician burnout joe
2: yeah physician burnout serious issue that we knew about before covid as you described Then you enter COVID and you have situations where people are forced to communicate with their patients in different ways. You have toll it took on clinicians given the amount of loss that we both within our patients and then within our private lives. Today, what we've done is multifaceted. One, and this is during COVID, we created lavender rooms and what we call code lavenders. Lavender room is just where anyone can go to find that sort of quiet space, whether in meditation, music, just breathing. A code lavender can happen anywhere in the hospital. It could be called by anyone. And the notion is it's really more of a timeout and a sort of a decompression moment amongst the team. We also created what we call the Center for Traumatic Stress and Resiliency. This is an area that's staffed 24 by seven with behavioral health specialists, inclusive of psychologists, psychiatrists, and it is there for the clinicians when they need a little bit more assistance than, than needed on a daily basis. In addition, what we've continued to try and focus on is the notion of the importance of taking time and making sure that when the, the presenteeism. We also have a number of wellness initiatives also focused on behavioral health so that the clinicians know that we're there to support them. And then lastly, and arguably maybe just as important, if not more important, is removing some of the mundane and the frustrating things that just get in their way of being able to practice medicine. That's We see that in as much as the, the EHR and how we're trying to decrease the number of clicks. And so what we're trying really hard to do is let the clinicians know that we are listening to them and we're trying to remove the barriers that's preventing them from practicing medicine the way they want to.
1: How about nurse shortages, which obviously were, became a prominent issue during COVID? You mentioned your nurse staffing agency, but what are you doing about the nurse shortages issue, Joe? Yeah,
2: actually, just this morning, I had a prep call for one of the accrediting organizations a number of years ago, Division of the Health System, Dr. Kathy Gallo along with Michael Dowling was to create our own nursing school and advanced practice nurses. And so that's been step one. Step two is we continue to go to the high school level, not in many of the communities that we serve, and especially in the historically underrepresented communities where we're issuing scholarships for it, really engaging people in STEM careers and then really beginning to introduce them to other areas, particularly nursing, so that they understand what that career could be and then what that means for career progression and um, really allowing those opportunities during college years as well to experience what healthcare is, just continuing to draw people in and spread that message of what it is and what it's not. Mm-hmm.
1: Joe, for those of us who are not going to ever be a chief people officer, but could benefit from your thinking and your experience, what were the several top lessons that you've learned so far about being the chief people officer? Yeah, a couple things.
2: One would be fairness and consistency. I think you realize pretty early on the chief people officer, chief HR officer, you're never going to make everyone happy, particularly in an organization of 80,000. But if your direction, your strategy, your adjudication at times is fair and consistent, you can absolutely walk that line and you can elevate the culture and the engagement and experience of the organization. Northwell today is a fortune rated and has been for the last three years, fortune rated best place to work. We're number one on Diversity Inc for healthcare. And so we have many sort of accolades that have told us that we're headed in the right direction. We don't declare victory on any of those things. The second thing is in the role, you do have to be principled. And if your principles and your values don't match that of the health system or the organization you work for, then you probably don't belong in the role or you probably don't belong in the organization. And look, there were a number of times, I'm not going to say that every day was sunshiny days. There were a number of times where that resiliency gets tested and you have to be willing to really walk the line far enough that you'd be willing to walk away. And I know that sounds dramatic, but when we even just Talk, think about the topics that I just mentioned, whether that's Me Too, Black Lives Matter, equity, diversity, inclusion, pay. You've got to be willing to, to fight for these issues.
1: Yeah. Almost two years ago, Joe, you were appointed as the executive vice president of enterprise services. Share with us, what does that role involve, Joe?
2: So enterprise services is, in essence, how we were trying to rebrand corporate. Corporate felt like a bit of a dirty word and too much of an imbalance of the different parts of the operation. And enterprise services was as much to, one, acknowledge our customers are the organization and our job is to serve their needs. And today it translates as human resources, as real estate. Facilities, property management, man- managing the capital dollars of which we spend about 1.3 billion a year. Change management, projects, project management, and then of course flex as I mentioned before. Northwell Direct, which is our Northwell director employer strategy, and uh, parts of the organization like that. So it very much is the shared services of the organization, but really trying to somewhat subtly and not so subtly change the culture of this side of the organization.
1: So I know from our past discussions, you always felt that HR in a way got a bad name because it was always viewed only as an expense to the organization. And you've taken some steps to actually produce some revenue producers coming out of your experience as HR. Can you share that with us, Joe? So the notion
2: was, okay, if you're not going to agree with how much we can save the organization from a cost mitigation standpoint and the value of an engagement and all these other things that all, and performance and leadership development all the other stuff that us HR people get all excited about, then we're going to create some revenue. And Flexstaff was one of those, was a step in that direction. Today, it has a for-profit arm and a not-for-profit arm, the not-for-profit arm over the last five years has cumulatively saved the organization upwards of $168 million of expense. The second thing we did was we created, as you heard me mention, this Northwell Direct, a direct-to-employer strategy. We set out to a company, a for-profit company that hangs off the parent of our not-for-profit that does just that. They meet the employer where they are. It removes the sort of confusing nature that, that is health systems, and it acts to increase their engagement and improve the well-being of their team members while decreasing expense. And uh, we're in year three. We're gonna this uh, will break even this year from the initial investments, and uh, we're on our way.
1: Well done, Joe. This has been a super interview, as expected. I've got one last question, if I could, for those up and coming leaders in the audience. What advice do you have for them as they continue on their journey to become more and more? consequential leaders
2: can underestimate the value of relationships whether that's within your organization outside of your organization i think you've heard a number of times from this from this discussion today just on where those relationships have paid off and you never know where they're gonna they're going to pay off from a career vantage point i often will call those people your career sponsors you make an impression on someone else without an ask and yet one day they put your name forward because they sense the passion that you have, the fire in your belly, and that relationship can potentially take you places where you never thought. The, at times, the beneficiary being either maybe yourself and your career, and then oftentimes, and arguably more importantly, to the type of work we do and the impact we have.
1: Joe, thanks for your time today. Keep up the great work. Give our best to Michael and Mark when you next see them. Take care.
2: Thank you so much. Appreciate the time.